be swapped out, okay? But we'll let them know as they go so they don't know. You, men, when you get up here, your time has started. You will have eight minutes at first before the light turns yellow. Then you will have, you'll hear a bell. You've got two minutes to cut it off. Land the plane. That light will go red. When that light is red, <laughs> when that light is red, you're going to hear this. You're done. Next man goes. All right. And, uh, is that clear? All right. Most of these men have done this before. And uh, we switch them up every once in a while. Sometimes we change the time limit on them. Sometimes we change, you know, just uh, just a little bit of variation. But uh, we're gonna call the first man of God up here, and it's James Childers. I don't. It's on already. control it, all right. Amen. He's trying to figure out how to put this thing on. He's got it backwards, man. Turn it. Kill my time. There you go. Luke nineteen thirty-seven. Luke nineteen thirty-seven. Okay. I think before I get started, don't time me. I ain't on time yet, am I? No, 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 no. Stop me a minute. I make a move that this church put the pastor on 10 minutes every Sunday morning. All in favor? You've had it. Luke 19, 37. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of the disciples, watch this, begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I want to speak to you for just a few minutes on what's the shouting all about. I was here last night. I enjoyed tonight. I enjoyed being around shouting. Now this scene takes place as what is known as the final entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry. He's going to die in a little while. But folks have heard that he's coming. So they lined the streets. They had gotten a donkey already and put the clothes on the back of the donkey that Jesus might set up on those clothes. They took their cloaks off and strode them in the street, cut palm branches down and put them in the street that Jesus might ride on that animal across those things as He entered Jerusalem. Last time He's ever going to be here. They lined the streets, much like it would be if the president came to... I wouldn't hope it would be. But uh, like a big dignitary would come to Spartanburg and folks would line the streets just to get a glimpse of him. Well, that's the way it was in Jerusalem that day that Jesus made his triumphant entry. I can see the folks as they line the streets. Jesus means something to those folks. They turn out just to catch a glimpse and they turn out to thank Him for what has been done in their life. 
As a matter of fact, there's a reporter there. His name is James Childers. And he is from the Jerusalem National Broadcasting System. And he's there interviewing folks that are there lying the streets and watching them as they are so emotional and they're beside themselves and they're shouting. And he cannot figure out what the shouting is all about. So he goes up to one young man like this man and says, I notice that you're real emotional. I notice that you're beside yourself. I'm from the Jerusalem Broadcasting Network. Can you tell me where you're from? You're from a little town called Nain. Just a little ways from Jerusalem. And you've come to praise and to honor and to glorify the Son of God that's in Jerusalem. But why? what brought you here? What makes you so emotional? Well, sir, I'm glad to tell you. I was dead. They were carrying my body out of the city of Maine. My mother was among the crowd. Now, sir, you sure you died? Oh, yeah, maybe you just fainted. Maybe you just passed out. Well, they wrapped me in grave clothes, and they laid me on the platform and carried me out of the city toward the cemetery. No, sir, I was dead. That is, until a man by the name of Jesus made his way up to where I was at. He stopped the funeral possession and touched them the body. And I got up and, sir, I'm alive. And I just came down to Jerusalem to let everybody know that I appreciate what Jesus did for me, giving my life back to me. I'm not dead anymore. I'm alive. Well, I see another man. He's kind of aged and old and uh, hair's getting thin and, and all of that. And I asked him, I said, sir, what's your name? Oh, my name's Bartimus. Bartimus, that's an unusual name. Well, it may be, but I've come from an unusual situation. I was down near Jericho when Jesus passed by where I was at. I couldn't see him, but somebody told me that's who he was. I'd heard about him, so I cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus came to where I was at and touched my eyes, and I received my sight back. I was blind until Jesus came by, and thank God now I can see. I've just come down here to Jerusalem to praise His name and to honor Him and give Him the glory. Well, I see an old lady. Hey, I see you standing in the crowd, and you're real emotional, aren't you? Yeah, and you're thankful to the Lord. Well, tell me your story. Well, you see, reporter, I had an issue of blood. For 12 years, I was sick. I've tried every doctor, spent every dime I had on doctors, and did not get any better, was just getting worse. My time was running out until somebody told me, there's a new doctor in town. But, sir, it didn't make any difference. I told them I didn't have any money. They said, yeah, but you don't understand. This doctor's not charging anything. 
When I got down there, there's such a crowd, I couldn't get to him. And I just thought, if I can get through that crowd and touch the hem of his garment, everything's going to be all right. And that's what she did. When she touched the hem of his garment, every germ in her body ran out. And she was made whole. And now she's down in Jerusalem, lifting her hands and praising God, for God touched her. But wait a minute. Yellow light, green light's on. Yellow light ain't got there yet. Hallelujah. But wait a minute. I got as much to shout about as they have. For you see, I was dead. Like the boy at Nain. Dead in trespasses and in sin. Dead to the things of God. Did not know anything about God. Until one day Jesus came by. And through the plan of salvation, He gave to me brand new life. I never lived until Jesus came by. But, like Bartimaeus, I was blind. Boy, I thought I had the world by the tail. I thought everything was going good. Until old time conviction set in. And the Lord come by and touched me. And opened my eyes. And I saw for the first time everything that I'd been missing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And like they sung a moment ago, mercy wrote my life. What's that mean? Two minutes. Well, where am I at now? The bell done messed me up. Amen. Mercy walked in. Well, I was like the lady that had the issue of blood. My blood was bad. It was full of sin. I'd inherited my blood from a fellow by the name of Adam. Adam sinned against God in the Garden of Eden until I found a fountain that was filled with fresh blood and forgiveness of sins and plunged myself neath that fountain and Jesus gave me a transfusion and today I don't have a blood disease. I'm free from all sin. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. I was thinking the other day about DNA. DNA can identify a body that's been dead for 25 or more years. DNA can identify a baby's daddy. Amen. There is no mistake about DNA. But you know what took place? When you nailed at an old-fashioned altar or wherever you knelt and accepted the Lord as your Savior, He put His DNA in you. And today you have Jesus living rather than self-living and rather than the devil living. Thank God He loved us enough to go to Calvary. I'm through. Well, I still got a few minutes. Take up another offering. (laughs) Amen. I didn't mention this a while ago, but the man that goes last, we won't blow the horn on him. His light will turn red. He'll know to let the gear down, but he'll give the invitation. He'll call the musicians. If he wants the parsons to come, 
he can call them back, or if he wants Brother Dusty to come, pianist, whatever he wants, he can handle it that way, okay? But uh, that was good. Give Preacher James a hand. Preacher Henry Guyton, you come on, Preacher. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's all right. Henry, don't somebody said Henry, don't need no, no microphone. Hey, let me turn it around for you, preacher. Let me. I hit it where it wouldn't be doing nothing. Amen. Right there. He preached on God's love. I want to preach a little bit different. You know, Psalms, ninth chapter and seventeenth verse. He said, the wicked will be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And you know, you look at where our nation is standing today. We're living just where the Sodom and Gomorrah was living. Just exactly. We're doing the same thing. Our president legalized the same thing that was taking place back in them days. And you know, I was studying about that... And I was on my way to hell. I went to church one night, 1964, don't know why I went. I always hunted and fished on Sunday. That's where I went. I went to church that night, preacher priest, give an altar call, and I hit the door. God spoke to me going down the road, said, it's your last change. I kept going. He said, it's your last change. I kept going. He said, it's your last chance. The third time he said, it's your last chance, I turned around and went back to the church. Yeah. I run through the doors and knelt in the altar, and I said, God, if you'll save me and forgive me, I'll follow you. Yeah. Next morning, next evening, brother, when I come home from work, how many of you know what four-inch I-beams is? Huh? There was four-inch I-beams out there where I turned around. I don't know today... Well, they was there when I turned around, but if they were, God turned that car around. I didn't. I didn't know he was there. But I'm glad of one thing, that I know who he is. I'm glad that Brother James, that same man that you was talking about, when mercy come in in 1964, he made a change in my life. And I've not been the same since. I'm going to tell you that. I've told a lot of them. I said, I don't care what people said. I don't care what the president of the United States says, I know who I'm serving, don't you? I don't have to ask nobody. I, I know whenever I knelt in that altar that night, God saved me, God forgave me. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to look over in Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14. And look what he said. If my people, now this is talking about God's people. If you're saved tonight, you're God's people. If you're lost, you're the devil's people. And, and you know... Uh, uh, they, they talk now about, and, and the president was talking here a good while back. I listened to him. He said, I am a devout Christian. I don't believe a man is a devout Christian when he legalizes abortion. I don't believe a man is a, a Christian when he legalizes homosexual engagement. I, I don't believe I believe when God comes into your life, I know He did. When He came into my life, He changed me. And I've been a different person ever since. But now I want you to look there in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. 
if my people, he's talking about the saved people. I, I know you say, well, that was back in Israel days. Yeah, if you're saved today, you're just as much his people as Israel is. You're God's children. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Well, now you say the land, that ain't got nothing to do with it. He's talking about you and me. That's what he's talking about when he uses the land. The land is out there. God created the land. He created you and me, but he's talking about his people. He will heal. Boy, if we ever, we're living in the worst times that I've ever seen. I mean, they've turned God aside. Look at what happened when they pushed him out of the schools. You look at what's going on in the courtrooms and everything else. When you push God out, there ain't one more to come in, and that's Satan. That's Satan. He's coming in to do what he can while he got a chance, and he's working the day and time that we're living in. And we need to realize that time is running out. It's running out. They was talking on television, uh, and uh, my wife said the other day, said, every time you turn around, there's killing. I looked over at her, and I said, yeah, when you take God out, there ain't but one more to come in. That's Satan. And if you look back, did we ever, when you were going to school, did we, you ever hear tell of a killing in that school? No, because you know what? They had God in that school, huh? They had God in and look, when they took God out, I was watching this fellow the other day that went in that school and killed all them. And now they said that he's he crazy. I got another word for that, Brother Todd. He's demon-possessed. Yeah. Right? He's demon-possessed. But yet they use a, a word to try to get him out. Yeah. Huh? That book says that either we're saved or we're lost. Ain't it? Yeah. And I believe when a man or a woman gets saved, they know it. I believe that God changes that mind altogether, that mouth altogether. When, when God comes in, the, old, the new man comes in, the old man goes, goes out, you become a new creature, the Bible says. You're not the same one that you used to be. There's a different, there's something take place in your life. And brother, I'm going to tell you, if you'd have been around me before 1964, when I got saved, you'd know how God cleansed this mouth of it. I'll tell you, it was filthy and everything else. And it's bad to say it, but if you mess with me, you'd get cussed out in a minute. But when God came into my life and God saved me, God took all of that away. It don't come out of my mouth. I praise God with the lips that I used to say things that I shouldn't say. I praise God. And I'm thankful that I know that God forgave me. I'll tell you this and try to get on flat like them. I had a fellow colored fellow that worked for me years ago. I talked to him about getting saved. He said, I'm as good as any of them people that goes to church. I said, you don't have to answer for them. He come in one day and he got on a loader, run a loader, and he had a place across his neck. I asked him, I went out there and climbed up on the loader, and I said, what happened? He said, I cut my throat shaving. I said, you're telling a lie. I said, which one cut your throat, your son or your wife? He said, neither one. I said, you're telling a lie. Which one can? He said, I can't lie to you, can I? I said, no. He said, I was sitting there watching the television. My wife come in, took a butcher knife and hadn't threw my hand up. said, you're coming through. I said, one of them is going to kill you. It was just a few days after that. He went in home, 
His son shot him seven times with a twenty-two automatic. And the reason he didn't shoot him 16 times was because it jammed. See? He told me, he said, when I get on doing all the living I want to do, I'll turn to God. He didn't get on. Devil moved in there, and he didn't have as long a life as he thought he had. We don't know today how much time we got. But praise God, if he carries me home tonight, I'll just be up there with him to live and reign forever. Won't well, have to worry about nothing else. All the trouble to be over with, all the worries to be over with, and we'll be at home to live and range for Him, not for a little while, but forever. And never have a worry. Won't be going to no funerals up there. Nobody will be sick up there. And boy, what a time we're going to have. I'll tell you, I love getting in church like we got in last night. I'm going to have to hurry up. Boy, God really moved in. It started in the prayer room back there and come on out. God's people got a lot to be happy for. You know? If we just let God have his way. And I believe that we got enough people in the United States to pray to God that God can change this nation. If they would just come together and pray and seek God's face, God could turn this nation around. But it's going to take God to do it. We can't do it. That's right. God can, but we can't. And I, I've said and I've talked to several preachers, a lot of them out of free will Baptist. That don't make no difference if they say to say they lost their Lord. And everyone I've talked to about praying and seeking the Lord to change this nation said, let alone God will take care of it. He did take care of something more, didn't he? Took care of something more. And I believe that he'll do the same thing with the United States. God is not going to do what he done to Solomon and Gomorrah and let another nation go by and do the same thing. He's not going to do it. If he condemns one nation, he'll condemn another. If he condemns one man for doing something, he'll condemn another for doing the same thing. God don't have no, he don't have nobody, no respect. I mean, for what one does, he punishes, he'll punish for all. He won't let another go by. I've had people say, well, you know, if you're saved, do what you want to do, you're still going to heaven. I don't believe that either. I believe if you're saved, you got a determination to follow God. And if you don't follow God, you're lost and, and backslid and gone back out into a world of sin. And when you stand there before God, you go either here and say, enter in or depart from me, you worship with me. sharing some wisdom with you tonight. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Dr. Bobby Bowers, you come on up. Preach the word of God. <laughs> He's calling out scripture already. Amen. Let me get him harnessed up here. You run with it, preacher. The Lord Jesus had had the last supper. And the Bible says, Supper being ended, he took a towel and girt himself and began to wash the disciples' feet. Had your feet washed lately? 
Afterwards, Jesus went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Bible says that he prayed until his sweat became great drops of blood. A mob mob of soldiers led by Julius Iscariot entered the garden, and Christ was taken captive and led away to Cephas, the high priest, to be tried by the Sanhedrin, a council of 70 Jews. They accused him of being a blasphemer. In their angry rage, they smote him in the face. They pulled his beard from his face. His eyes were were buffeted until they turned black with bruises. In other words, they kept slapping the Lord Jesus in the face until his eyes were completely blue, bruised, and closed. You see, the Jews couldn't execute him. The power of death was out of their hands. He must be tried and condemned in a Roman court. So he led away. He was led away to Pilate. Pilate questioned Jesus and found no fault in him. And then he returned him to Herod. He found no wrong in him and returned him to Pilate. The mob was screaming, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate commanded that he be scourged and delivered him to be crucified. Or in other words, Pilate commanded that he be beaten. He was beaten so badly. The Bible says that they, uh, that he took, uh, uh, the cat of nine tails. And they slung that cat of nine tails down his back and pulled it until the blood began to squish out of his body. The Bible says in all of this, he opened not his mouth. You see, the Lord Jesus has changed the royal throne of the universe for the place of scorn. He gave up his robe of majesty for scarlet rags. From the common hall, they began the ragged journey down the Vidalarosa, the path of sorrow. The Lord Jesus suffered mentally, physically, and spiritually. A heavy cross beam was placed upon his shoulders. He's about to die. But now the question for us tonight is, why? The trial was illegal, the charges were false, and the witnesses were paid to lie. From every human point of view, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was a triumph of injustice and hidden humanity, yet he was willing to die. Jesus could have called an army of angels from heaven to come down and deliver him from the cross. He said, before this hour came out into the world. Are you listening to me tonight? Instead, he surrendered into the hands of wicked men. He willingly died. But now, the question for us tonight is, why did he die? I'm going to give you three thoughts here, 
and I'm not going to get to them. But I'm going to give them to you so you at least get them. First of all, he died that we might live through him. He died that we might live for him. And he died that we might one of these days, hallelujah, glory to God, live with him. And that's a blessed hope of the church tonight. He died that we might live through him. That's salvation. He died that we might live for him. That's service. He died that we might live with him. That's security. Y'all listen to me? He died that we might live through Him. And this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world that we might live through Him. The Bible pictures the condition of sinners in three ways. In Matthew chapter 15, it talks about the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. Sermon right there, folks. The, dis- the sinner is described as a prisoner bound by the chains of his own sins. The sinner is described as a blind man groping about in darkness. The Bible pictures the sinner as a dead man. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You see, a man who is physically dead does not respond to physical things. He has no appetite for food, no ability to work. He doesn't respond to your voice or to your touch. So it is with the man who is spiritually dead. He does not respond to spiritual things. He can read the Bible and see the words, but he never understands the truth about what he's reading. He can sing the songs in the church, but his heart doesn't understand them. He has no appetite for spiritual food or fellowship. You see, the spiritually dead man does not respond to spiritual things. Now, what does a dead man need? He needs life. Not religion. Somewhere along the Amazon River, while I speak to you tonight, some mother is throwing her infant baby into the Amazon River to appease her religion. What does a dead man need? He needs not religion, not reformation, but what he needs is resurrection. Life is exactly what the Lord Jesus gives when we turn to him by faith. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from life, from death unto life. Folks, Jesus died that we might live through Him. He bore the shame and penalty of our sin that we might be forgiven. 
and have eternal life. For the Bible says Jesus died for us according to the Scripture. Jesus died that we might live through Him. Secondly, Jesus died that we might live for Him. That service. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Selfishness lies at the root of sin. You see, because Adam and Eve wanted something for themselves, they plunged the whole of humanity into sin and death. Folks, the truth is we want things our way. Selfishness depresses, deceives, demands, and ultimately destroys. Selfishness blunders, burdens, and breaks. Selfishness breaks marriages, it breaks up homes, it breaks up churches, it breaks up fellowship, and it breaks up friendship. Selfishness is what causes war. And the only cure for selfishness is love. And the only way to get love is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, love becomes the motivating force. And it's, what in the world was that? (laughs) May God add His blessings to the preaching of a third of my sermon. Amen. Here comes the Pope of Una. Make him feel welcome. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms 118, verse 12. While you're turning there, I would say to you as well, turn to Titus chapter 2 and just kind of hold your finger right there. Uh, we'll get there, hopefully. But while you're turning to Psalms 118, verse 12, I want us to look at uh, the first uh, chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 44. (laughs) You don't have to turn there. I'll read here. (laughs) And the Amorites, which dwelt in that mountain, came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Sear, even unto Hormah. Stand just for a moment while we share these uh, this verse. Verse twelve, one eighteen. They me about uh, like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. What I want you to take note of is that first uh, uh, sentence. They compass me about like bees. 
Father, in Jesus' name, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to uh, preach to you from these verses on uh, if uh, you were a bee, what bee would you be? If you were a bee, what bee would you be? I want you to notice that uh, he's likened men unto bees. And I thought about several things that are consistent with bees that also parallel uh, some of us humans. First of all, bees have a, a functioning stinger. They can sting you. In other words, they'll hurt you. Bees uh, uh, sting you if you uh, uh, get to swatting at them. Bees uh, uh, sting you uh, uh, if you uh, uh, mess with something that they're wanting. I mean, uh, uh, they come by your plate uh, and you get to trying to get them away from that food, uh, they'll sting you. Now, there are bees that'll sting you uh, uh, for good reason, and then there are bees that'll sting you for no reason whatsoever. I'm here to tell you that human beings are are like bees, but uh, they can hurt you. They'll put a hurting on you. Some of them will put a hurting on you, and you've given cause to, but some of them will hurt you if you just get in their way. Uh, You get around them. You happen to be in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, but they'll hurt you. And so uh, uh, we kind of parallel with bees somewhat. Bees are also uh, creatures uh, that uh, have need. Uh, they uh, need nectar. They go around, they fly around, they got to get that. That gives them strength and their nutrients. They get that from uh, uh, those that nectar. Well, I'm here to tell you, we're needy people. We need one another. We need things and we need God. We're just as needy as those bees. I tell you something about bees we don't like to hear. There's the queen bee. She rules the roost. And I told them around the church house not too long ago, if mama's happy, everybody's happy. If mama ain't happy, they ain't nobody happy. And so these... Uh, There's some characteristics about bees that are consistent with people. That's just kind of the the introductory, but now I want to take you uh, to the kind of bees uh, uh, that uh, you and I are. If you were a bee, what bee would you be? I want us to look at that verse I gave you a while ago, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might 
redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Zealous. Zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort. Somebody give me the other word there. And rebuke with all authority. And let no man despise thee. Those verses tell us the characteristics of the supposed to be. (laughs) The supposed to be. The grace of God teaches us that we ought to be denying ungodliness and worldly lust. That we ought to be living soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. It also tells us that we ought to be looking up for Jesus. It's going to split the eastern skies one of these days either while. And we ought to be purifying ourselves and we ought to be practicing what the preacher preaches and the preacher ought to be practicing as well. That's the supposed to be. Well, let's get to another be. How about the used to be? (laughs) There's a lot of folks that used to be what they're supposed to be. They used to be uh, uh, cleaned up from the world. They used to be separated, uh, sanctified. uh, But they used to be rejoicing uh, uh, in their relationship uh, with God. But now they're just like uh, old Samson. Samson was a used to be. But he used to be powerful. He used to be influential. But he, uh, he used to have the power of God on him. And now where do we find him? We find him bound, grinding, and blinded. He was a used to be. But he used to be carrying God's name. He used to be working up for God's coals. And look at him now. He's the used to be. Uh-oh. Man. Then, uh, there's the used to be. There's the supposed to be. The used to be. What about the ought to be? <laughs> there are folk that sit, they got saved, they sit in church, and they still uh, not like they ought to be. They don't even have a used to be. They just never got involved. They sat on the pew of do nothing. And I'm here to tell you, you ought to be a testifier. You ought to be a a teacher, the Bible says. You ought to be a a tither. There's some ought to be's. Are you an ought to be? Well, there are some want to be's. (laughs) there's some folks that want to be about God's business there's those that want to be in the house of God they've got the want to but they're ready to do whatever you call on them to do they're wannabes they want to be in service they want to be active they want to be involved 
There's also the could be. (laughs) Are you a could be? You could be what you used to be. You could be what you ought to be. You could be what you're supposed to be. If you'll just uh, allow the Lord to remind you that He gave Himself for you and me. He gave Himself for us and redeemed us from all iniquity. And He did that so that He could purify unto Himself a peculiar people that are zealous unto good works. If you would, let's stand together. The sermons of tonight, we talked about praise. We talked about the problems that people wind up in if they don't have a sincere heart of praise. And then uh, uh, we talked about the pardon. Brother Bobby... And then I've come along behind them and talked about the practice. And so, (laughs) here we've got you a four-point sermon for some of you preachers to take home. But listen, bringing it to a close. What kind of bee are you? If you were a bee, what bee would you be? There's a lot of bees that can't be. They can't be what they used to be. They can't be what they ought to be. They can't be what they want to be. They can't be what they could be. Because they've been taken off the stages of this life. They left this world not being what they were supposed to be. Not being what they ought to be. Not being what they could be. Not being what they even now want to be. You've got the chance to make a difference in your life, your situation. You don't have to remain a used to be. You can get back in and you can get back to going for God. You don't have to be a could be because you can be a can be. If you'll just simply come to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, this evening. There we, they've done sung about mercy. He provides mercy. For the, you may have blew it, you may have messed up, maybe you ain't never got in at all, but uh, you can. You can be the can be. You can come. He extends an invitation. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. While every head's bowed, while they sing, if you're not the bee, you ought to be. Make a beeline. To the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll set things in order.
Across this building, no one looking, please just close your eyes and bow your head. If you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't know for sure that if you was to leave this world today that you would go to heaven, won't you obligate yourself to the greatest privilege ever known to man? To receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Won't you slip out from the pew where you're at? Come down to an altar of prayer. One of these preachers in here will be glad to pray with you. Take you down the Romans road. And be gloriously saved here tonight in this meeting. No one's looking. No one's going to criticize you. No one's going to talk about you you need to be saved preacher Kenny preacher Kenny is there another is there another look we want you to go to heaven when you leave here do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ Do you have that personal relationship? Listen, I know it's getting late, but there's souls hanging in the balance tonight. God's moving and touching hearts. If you need to be saved, you need to move. Nobody's looking. One's already come getting help tonight. Is there another? Maybe you've been saved. You're out of the will of God. You've backslidden on Him. Listen, He's a God of second chances. Why don't you slip out? And ask God to put you back on the same track. Back on the track where you need to be. Would you do it? As they sing, you come.
People being born into the family of God. Becoming a royal descendant. <laughs> a royal descendant of the king of Jerusalem. Is there another one? Listen, as long as they're coming, we're going to hold it over. I, you know, I can't apologize for what God's doing. If they come just one at a time, that's okay. Listen, they'll be thanking us in the long run for that one more verse. That one more verse. Listen, I feel deep in my spirit someone else ought to come. Ought to make a beeline for this altar and know that uh, they'll have everlasting life as soon as they get down here uh, and repent of their sins. Repent of their sins. Accept Christ as their Savior. And my friends, when that happens, it'll change your life. It'll change you beginning on the inside. It'll begin to show on the outside. Hallelujah. He never gave up. He never gave up. Mercy reached out. Mercy reached out. Never came up on me. Amen. It's been good. Do some of that royal descendant and let's just shout it out the rest of the way. Amen.